classic Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love Here I raise my Ebenezer Here by thy Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, glad to have those of you who are joining with us on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter there. Uh, be sure to heart to like to share the post there. Uh, that just helps to get the information out even more uh, about our services. So welcome to those of you who are joining us there as well as our phone live streaming. If you need that number, please call the church office or if you need it in person, I'll be glad to give that to you after the services uh, here. But be sure to uh, subscribe there on YouTube, hit that notification bell. And when you hit the notification bell, make sure you make sure it says all that way you'll get the notifications every time we go live uh, same thing on Facebook if you'll just follow us there you'll get those notifications uh, also I encourage you if you're at home to go to our church website at HighlandBaptistChurch.com it's under the info tab that you can download our worship bulletin so be sure to do that if you need this in person our ushers will be glad to come and give you one uh, but you can find them at the doors as you leave uh, so be sure to get those and then if you need the children's worship bulletins that go along with the sermon this morning uh, those are in the windowsill over here to my right, so be sure to pick up one of those. If you have kids that you're going to bring for Children's Church, uh, be sure to sign them in on the sign-up sheet out in the hall back here. It's on the stand, so be sure to do that, and then that way you'll be able to also sign them out when you pick them up at Children's Church uh, also. So just wanted to make you aware of that. While you're under that info tab there, be sure to download uh, the prayer list there. Uh, a lot of things that are on the prayer list, so we want to encourage you to be praying for individuals uh, who are having difficult times. So 
uh, be sure to get that downloaded. If you want the paper version, they're out here across from the hallway uh, in the stand there, so be sure to pick up uh, one of those. But it's good to see everybody that's here this morning and looking forward to a wonderful time of worship this morning. So, Brother Mike, if you will, come and lead us. She stand and join us as we sing hymn number 600, and we'll be doing the first, second, fourth verse. Ladies? As you'll notice on the screen, as well as in your bulletins, you have the story of our missionary uh, of the week, James Smith, uh, who is ministering to the European peoples uh, in London, England there. Uh, he actually had went over there right at the beginning times of COVID there and uh, had excitement about what was going to happen there right before COVID. And then COVID hit uh, and London was shut down. It looked like his ministry was going to be shut down there too. Uh, but he was able to go out into the park and to meet people and to just talk to people and ask them could he pray for them? And it opened up some opportunities for him to share uh, the gospel, especially with an individual that you can read the story there uh, who was a Muslim named Adam, uh, who, who he was able to share with him some things uh, that he was questioning and having some questions about and was able to lead him to faith uh, in the Lord. And I'd encourage you also, if you have the opportunity, uh, if you have a smartphone, uh, just pull out your camera and you can hold it over the little QR code there underneath the story and it'll pop up a video and some more information 
information uh, about that story and about uh, our missionaries who are serving around the world. So we want to spend some time in, in prayer for James Smith uh, and for his family as they are seeking to minister there in London, England to the European peoples. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful blessings that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, just pouring out your spirit upon individuals uh, who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior and then received that call to go serve on the mission field, and they've answered that call. And we thank you for people like James Smith and many others, Lord, who are serving around the world, across North America, even around Tennessee, uh, sharing the good news of the gospel in our behalf in places we might not be able to go to peoples that we might not be able to reach. And so, Father, we just pray that you'll bless him. Uh, thank you for the opportunities and the privileges you've given him there uh, in, in London, even through the midst of COVID, to find new ways to minister to people. And we just pray, God, that you will continue to pour out your blessings upon James and his family, as well as many others uh, who are serving. And Father, we pray that as they're gathered together to worship you also this day, we ask, Heavenly Father, for your will to be done, for your name to be glorified and honored. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for what you're doing uh, in their lives and in our lives. Thank you for the privilege we have every Sunday to pray for these missionaries, to also give. Uh, as we give of our tithes and our offerings, we're giving to support those missionaries on the field every Sunday. And so, Father, I pray that you will bless them, protect them, keep them safe, and bless the ministry uh, that they are involved in, wherever they may be. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We do want to also encourage you, if you've not done your offering or given, uh, you can find the envelopes in the pew in front of you or at the, uh, on the door, at the, on the wall uh, beside the doors as you exit. Be sure to grab one of those. You can put your offering in the plates uh, here at the front, or you can do your online giving. Just go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side. Click the Give Online tab. Easy platform there uh, that you can set up your online giving. You can do a one-time gift, or, or you can set it up as a recurring gift. So just wanted to remind you that. We had a great Great time last night, and I know Pastor Matt will share some uh, about that later with our chili cook-off and bake-off. Uh, great time. Thank you for everybody who was a participant in that, uh, in making chili and making desserts, as well as those who came and helped to eat it all. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much. Uh, and he'll share more at the end about that. But Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Take your hymnals and turn to 615 and sing with choir as we sing all four verses of To the Work, 615. Shining salvation is free. Toil 
all for the kingdom of darkness and error shall fall and the love of our father exalted shall be in the loud swelling core of salvation is free toiling on toiling on toiling on toiling on let us hope let us watch and labor till the master comes to the work to the work in the strength of the lord and the robe and the crown shall our With the ransom, salvation is free. Toiling on, toiling on, toiling on, toiling on. Let us hope, let us watch, and labor till the master comes. Thank you. And as we do and prepare for the next song, which will be hymn number 608, uh, the children's church will join on the piano side over here. So if you have little ones that uh, attend the children's church, you can come through during this song. So let's all stand and join the choir as we sing 608, We'll Work Till Jesus Comes. <clears throat> Ladies.
don't sing every Sunday with our choir, but we would encourage you if you uh, feel led to sing a solo, a duet, a group, uh, please come and let us know that. We'd love to put you in the service there, but we try to include some music uh, in each one of our services, some songs such as that, and uh, what a beautiful message uh, that is uh, in that song. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 20. I've entitled the message this morning, What We've Been Singing about already will work till Jesus comes. And you're going to see how that applies to this passage this morning. But Matthew chapter 20, we're going to begin with verse 1 through verse 2. Uh, the story goes on down through verse uh, 16 that we're going to look at. But uh, would you stand as we read God's word in honor of his word? Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word this morning. And thank you, Lord, for the message and song that we've already heard. Lord, we know that our salvation is not based upon our works. It is a free gift of the grace of, of God. It's a free gift that you have given us through the precious sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross and his resurrection from the grave. So we ask, Heavenly Father, for you to speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, whoever may be here or whoever may be watching online that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and their Savior, may they hear the gospel message, the message of grace that you've given to them, that all they have to do is to receive the truth of what you've done for them through Jesus Christ who shed his precious blood. And Father, I pray that they will call out to you to ask for forgiveness of their sin, to enter into that new relationship with you. But Father, for many of us who are believers, I pray God that this message will inspire us also to be faithful, to be sure that we're sharing the gospel with those around us, to be sure that we're continuing in the work that you've given us to do until the day that we draw our last dying breath. And Lord, we ask your blessings on this word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. I meant to say earlier too, if you're one of our guests, be sure to get one of the guest bags that are at the side or at the doors as you leave. So be sure to get that this morning also. Uh, Matthew chapter 20 here in verse 1 through verse 16 uh, is this message about uh, working and it's about laboring in the field. You know, in 1938, the United States Congress passed a law called the Fair Labor and Practice Act. That law affects millions and tens of millions of lives uh, to this very day because it established for the very first time in our history a minimum wage. Uh, believe it or not, that minimum wage when it first was started, started at 25 cents an hour. <laughs> you think of that, oh my gosh. But back then that was quite a bit. Uh, today we're talking about a minimum wage, maybe trying to set that closer to, to $15 an hour. We know the current federal minimum wage is $7.25. Different states have different uh, minimums, but that's been since 2009. That law was really based on two principles. One principle was that everybody ought to make a minimum wage. And then secondly, that there should be some semblance of equal pay for equal work. 
Uh, well, believe it or not, Jesus tells here in this story uh, in an interesting and a strange way that relates to both of those principles. It's the first story that he tells in his final weeks here on earth. Uh, in, in his, it's the last story that he tells before he goes uh, into Jerusalem uh, to enter that final week of his life that we're progressing towards in our walk through the life of Jesus. But when you read about it and when you read this story, you're going to find out that it's one of the most shocking stories with one of the most shocking conclusions that Jesus ever told. Uh, in fact, we could probably go so far as to say that it may be one of the most controversial parables uh, that Jesus ever told because when you read it, you're probably going to come to the conclusion it's not fair. It's not fair. This story deals with a bottom line question and that question is, what does God owe you? There's a word that's important to this passage, and it's the word grace. We think we know what grace means. We, we sing about it in one of the greatest Christian hymns that's ever been written, Amazing Grace. But grace may be one of the most misunderstood concepts in all of the Bible. So what I want to lay out for you in this passage this morning is three things that God uh, about God himself, and then we're going to look at some application uh, for this, some lessons that God wants us to learn from this passage. The first thing we want to find out about God and about his, who he is is that God is good. God is good. We see that in verse 1 and verse 2. Read those verses with me again, if you will. So, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So get the picture here. Once a year in Israel, uh, there was a time known as the harvest time. The soil had been prepared in the spring. Uh, the vineyards had been pruned in the summer. And September-ish, somewhere about that time, was the time for the harvest of the grapes. Now back in those days, there weren't any labor organizations, no unions. Uh, and, and in every little village or town at that time, there would be what was called the agora. Uh, or marketplace. Uh, many things would be going on in the marketplace, but within one particular place, always of every agora or marketplace, there would be these laborers, commonly called day workers, who would come together hoping to be hired for the day. Now you see that many times today in agricultural communities uh, where you have people who are, who are regular workers, hired workers, but you'll see individuals who'll be standing on a particular street corner every day and they're waiting for some of the farmers to come by and to see who will take them to work at their farm. You see that many places even around this world. Well, these people who were here in this passage, uh, they were of the lowest rung on the social ladder in the land of Palestine. Uh, they weren't regularly hired by anybody. Uh, they didn't own, uh, hold down a regular job. Uh, they didn't enjoy the benefits of, uh, of continual employment. And so they worked a day at a time. And if they didn't work, they didn't eat. If they didn't work, then their families uh, went hungry. And so these were workers who were destitute and desperate and dependent on being hired for the day. So they would stand in that particular place in the marketplace in the Agora. It was there that the owner of the vineyard would come and he would seek to hire uh, these day workers who would come out just for that harvest period of time to work a day at a time. At least during that time, uh, they could provide for their families. So get the picture of what happens in these first two verses here. These first workers are hired about six o'clock in the morning. 
We're told in verse 2 that they had an agreement for what pay would, would be for them uh, that they would make. Verse 2 said, after agreeing about the third, after agreeing for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So they've agreed to get paid a denarius for a day's work. And so they were hired early. Well, we see, in fact, you're going to see uh, in this parable two kinds of workers. There are those who are hired early, uh, but they wouldn't work until they knew how much they were going to make. Uh, so that word agreed there is, is somewhat of a legal term, if you will. So in effect, what they had was a verbal contract, if you will, uh, that, that, that would work. Uh, they would work for a solid day. They would make a denarius, which was equivalent to about a day's work, uh, day's wages uh, for the average worker about 2,000 years ago. But also in this parable, there's another kind of worker. There are those who have no agreement. So these first ones have an agreement for a denarius a day. The rest of the workers we're going to see about, uh, they don't have any kind of agreement uh, with, the, with the vineyard owner with the, when he comes uh, to, to get more workers. So these were the workers who, when they were hired, were told by the owner of the vineyard, look down to verse 4, to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So whatever's right, I'll give you. He doesn't say a denarius a day. They don't negotiate a denarius a day. He just says, whatever's right, I'll give you. Now, there's something we need to realize and understand about every worker, whether it was the ones that are hired early in the morning or the ones that we're going to see that are hired later in the day. There was one thing that was in common with all of these workers. The boss didn't have to hire any of them. He could have gone to another town. He could have gone to a different marketplace. He could have hired totally different workers. He was under no obligation to hire any specific or particular individual. So what we need to learn from that is that we ought to be grateful to be a child of God. He chose you and called you uh, to, to be a part of his kingdom, to work in his vineyard, but he was no un, under no obligation to choose you. In fact, the reason we choose him is because he first chose us. That's what the scripture tells us. So being involved in the work of God is not a duty. It's not some chore that we have to do. It's a privilege that we get to do. So the Lord wants to do through you what he cannot and will not do through anyone else. That's why he chose you. But he doesn't invite you to be a part of his family or a part of his kingdom or to labor in his vineyard because he has to. He does it because he wants to, because he loves you. He does it because he's good. That's what we need to remember about God. He's the vineyard owner here. He is good. Then we notice also, in correlation to the vineyard owner, and it shows us about God, God is gracious. God is gracious. You see this in verse 3 down through verse 7. And so let's pick up, if you will, with verse 3. And so, uh, uh, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing uh, idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And so uh, he, he does that over and over. And they said to him, because no one is hired, or verse 6, about the 11th hour, uh, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here? 
idle all day. And they said to him, because no one has hired us, he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So get the image here that the owner of the vineyard comes back. He had already hired these others at six o'clock in the morning for an agreed price. The owner comes back at about nine o'clock in the morning and he hires some more workers. Then he comes back at noon and he hires some more workers. And then he comes back at about three and he hires some more workers. And he comes back again somewhere around five-ish in the evening and he hires some more workers. Now, the controversy is going to be right here with those that he hired at the five o'clock hour. First of all, think about this. Those who are left in those last hours, in fact, even all the groups that he calls after six o'clock to go work in the, in the vineyards, uh, who are these individuals? Uh, these are those who were leftovers. Uh, these are those uh, who, who the best workers had already gone. Uh, they had already been chosen at the six o'clock hour. The mediocre workers, they went in the, in the, in the late morning, the early afternoon, and then you uh, come down to three o'clock and it's the last string. And so when you get down to five o'clock, well, what kind of workers are left? These are the ones that nobody else wanted. These are the ones that nobody else would hire to come into their vineyard. So to put it simply, they weren't only the last of the last, they were the least of the least. They weren't just, they weren't the cream of the crop, they were the bottom of the bucket, if you will. These were the people that nobody else would hire except this man. And so you begin to see when, when Jesus is telling this parable and relating it to who God is, to his Father is, you see this beautiful picture of a gracious God because God notices the unnoticed. God remembers the forgotten. What society has put out, God takes in. And what the world writes off, God picks it up. What the world rejects, God recruits. So think about this. If, you, uh, if you're a member of the family of God, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're a part of the kingdom of God, if you're a laborer in the vineyard, why did he choose you? Do you think he chose you because you're just so smart? No. You honestly think for one moment uh, that we've ever had or ever will have a thought that God hasn't already had? It ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God obviously didn't choose these later workers because they were strong-bodied, able-bodied men. Uh, he certainly didn't choose them because they could be extremely productive because they're only going to have an hour or two left to work. All those workers had been hired earlier. So remember, it's the landowner who went out looking for the workers. It was the landowner who asked them to labor in his vineyard. And that is so important in this story because the laborers have absolutely no demands on the landowner. God didn't have to choose any of us. Don't pass that over too lightly. That automatically means that you will never have a claim on God for anything. You never have the right to demand of God anything. You can never place God under some obligation to say, well, God, I did this, now I'm expecting you to do this for me. 
Because you have no claim on him. He, out of his grace, out of his mercy, out of his love, he loved you with a love that no one else had loved you with and chose you like no one else would choose you. You can never place God under any obligation to do something for you because you have done something for him. God never does anything for you because you first did something for him. The only thing that God owes any person that has ever been born is eternal punishment for our sins. He would be just and right to punish us in our sin. In other words, outside of hell, everything that we have and everything that we are is pure grace. So understand this concerning these workers. Because there was no, they, they, they had no steady employment. They were utterly dependent on the employer who wanted to use them during this short period of time. In other words, they were more dependent on the good grace of the employer than the employer was dependent on them. Because think about it, in Jesus' day, it was a privilege for a worker to be placed in a position to earn wages. And so providing work for the worker, uh, the employer was actually showing kindness and goodness. It was an act of grace on the part of the employer. He didn't have to go back at the 5 o'clock hour. He could have let those guys stand on the street corner and nothing would have ever been done for them. They wouldn't have been able to provide for their families. They wouldn't have had food for the day. He could have left them right where they were. But he chose to go back at the 5 o'clock hour and get those last remaining workers to come work in his field. See, understand this. It was an act of grace on the part of the employer. Spending hours in that marketplace not working meant that that worker and his family had to rely on charity. And to be offered a full day's work was really a gracious gift to the worker and to his family, regardless of what time of day you were hired. If you just got a little bit of pay for the day, that would help. Now this is very important for us to grasp because this is what goes to the heart of this parable. Not every Christian has the same opportunity to serve God. Think about that. Some people are saved when they're young. Some people are saved when they're older. Some people are called into ministry immediately after they're saved. Some are not called into ministry for years. Some are called to preach to thousands of people, while others are called to preach to hundreds of people or even less. Does that mean that people who are saved later in life don't get the same benefits and the same blessings of heaven as those who were saved earlier? Does that mean that those who are saved when they're younger and live long enough to serve God, say, say 50 years, should be entitled to more heavenly benefits than somebody who's saved at the same age but yet died as a martyr when they were 25 years old? Labor unions would say yes. The government would say yes. But as you're going to see, God says no. Because think about it. There are some who are saved when they're young, some who are saved when they're old. Uh, some uh, who, are, who are in the, the lowest of socioeconomic status, others uh, who are way up here. Uh, you think about those who are in prison and they get saved. Do you deserve any more privilege in heaven than they do? Absolutely not. We're all saved by grace. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. 
And yet so often in our thoughts and in our concept of things, we want to look down upon others because here's where we really get to the nitty-gritty here. We begin to find out thirdly here that God is generous. God is generous. Look at verse 8 and verse 9. So when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages. And get this part right here. This is where Jesus throws them for a, a big loop. He says, beginning with the last up to the first. That was not the common way to do things. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So the story gets very interesting here. The owner calls all the workers of the day together. He begins to give them their wages, and he doesn't follow the normal custom, which was normally to pay the first workers first. Instead, he pays the last workers first. The workers who had been hired at 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, as they see these, these later workers coming through getting their pay, they're getting a denarius, and they're thinking, oh, right. Oh, we're going to get paid a whole lot more than what we agreed to. We're going to get 12 denarius. These guys only worked for one hour. We've worked for 12 hours. So surely we're going to get 12 denarius. We're going to get almost two weeks' pay for one day's work. And then the story takes this shocking turn. Look at verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And so uh, the story here turns, and these early workers, they can't believe that they're getting paid exactly the, the same for 12 hours of labor that the others did who came later for one hour of labor. But in reality, they had no right to complain because they got exactly what they'd bargained for. And so immediately, though, they begin to cry out, unfair, unfair. You see, they had made a fatal mistake, a mistake we so often make ourselves. They began comparing themselves to what someone else had gotten with what they had gotten. When you start comparing yourself with others, you start coveting. When you start coveting, you start complaining because you start thinking it's not fair that I only have what I have. It's not fair that somebody else, it seems to be getting more. And, and, and when you start coveting, you start complaining. And so the danger comes when you begin to take your eyes off of the Lord because when you begin to watch, watch others, you're never going to be satisfied with what God gives you. You'll always want what somebody else has. You'll always think the grass is greener on the other side. Notice why the owner paid the men in reverse order. He wanted the first workers who had a contract with him to see how generous he was to the employees who had no contract with him. Because remember, none of these last workers, the ones who came at 5, the ones who came at, at 9 o'clock, none of those workers had a contract. Only that first group that came at 6 o'clock in the morning. They negotiated for one denarius a day. Well, notice what verse 13 goes on to say. But Jesus replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give this last worker 
as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do uh, what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So get this, Jesus gives the heart of the lesson in these verses. That we shouldn't become envious or jealous if God is more generous to someone else than we think he should be to them or, or we think he should be to us. If, we weren't, if he weren't generous, none of us would be saved. None of us would be rewarded. And so whatever you've received from God is totally undeserved. You ought to be grateful for what God, whatever God gives you and not worry about what he gives to somebody else. If you don't believe that everything you have is undeserved, then think about this. You didn't even deserve to be born. That raises a key question. Do you serve God for what he will give to you? Or do you serve God for what you can give to him and trust him to do what is right. You see, the Lord rewarded these last workers not for their time. He rewarded them uh, for, not for their labor. He rewarded them for their love. It wasn't what they did, but why they did it that got them a full reward. Some would say it's only fair that wages earned should correspond to work done, but God's kingdom economics are different. You see, if you work for wages, you'll get exactly what you agreed to, no more, no less. Then you become a hireling, not a servant. Every day we need to try to make sure that what we do in our life is because we love Jesus, not because we have to do these things. We need to be asking every day of our lives, uh, not what's in it for me, but rather what's in it for him. And yet, unfortunately, the Lord isn't, uh, the Lord isn't teaching about here the difference in, in rewards, but the equality of salvation. He, he's not talking about the rewards of heaven as much as he's talking about the blessings of heaven. Because think about it, as I said a moment ago, thieves... And prostitutes and criminals and social outcasts who get saved, whether early or late, are going to have the same heaven in eternity as people who went to church all their lives. People who were in Sunday school, who, who taught in Sunday school, who was there every time the doors open, they're going to have the same privilege. Because understand this, there are no servant quarters in heaven. There is no lower class neighborhood in heaven. There's no other side of the tracks in heaven. That's the point of this parable. So what are the lessons God wants us to learn? What are God's lessons here? Notice, first of all, in God's lessons as we close, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. You may sit there this morning and you may say, yes, he does. I taught Sunday school. I sing in the choir. I share my faith. I read my Bible. Let me ask you this question. Suppose you perfectly obeyed the laws of this state. Suppose you always came to a stop at stop signs, and I can tell you driving around Tullahoma, there's very few people that do it. <laughs> you always drive in the proper lane. You always use your turn signals. Again, there's very few people who do it. <laughs> you always obey the traffic rules. Think about this. Does the government send you a check every month in gratitude for what you've done? Not at all. 
You only did what you're supposed to do as a citizen of this state. Likewise, anything you do for God, your attitude ought to be that which is found in Luke 17, verse 10, where Jesus says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. God has every right to require perfect obedience and faithful service from all of us without in the least obligating himself to anyone. We owe him our obedience. We owe him our service. As God said to Job in Job chapter 41 verse 11, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. So he can do with it what he wants. So uh, not only do we need to remember that God doesn't owe us anything, secondly, the second lesson is this, we can't earn anything from God. There's nothing you can earn from him. Anything that you ever receive from God, whether it's a reward for service or, an, or eternal life itself, is a gift that flows from the grace of God. Everything in God's kingdom is based on grace. That's why the Lord Jesus says there in verse 16, so the last shall be first and the first last. That's the second lesson. And then the third lesson is this. The blessings of heaven are not based on the length of time you serve God. The blessings of heaven are not based on the length of time you serve God. If that were true, nobody would ever want to be a martyr. Nobody would ever want to sacrifice their life for the gospel because you'd want to live as long as you can to accumulate as much heavenly blessing as you could. I can assure you that because of grace, no one ever gets less than they deserve. In fact, we always get more than we deserve. Let me close with this illustration. Next time you buy a product from Borden, the Borden company, Borden that makes cheese and milk products, uh, they make sour cream and different things like that. When you buy a product from Borden, remember the name Bill Borden. Bill Borden was born into the Borden family, and from the time he came into this world, his financial security was set. By the age of 21 in 1908, he was already worth a million dollars himself. Now, in our terms today, that would be over $50 million today. That when he was born, he, would, he was already worth a million dollars himself at the age of 21. He, he was handsome, he was intelligent, he was well-educated, he was popular. But in 1912, at the age of 25, Bill Borden did two things that made the front pages of the newspapers. First of all, he gave away his entire fortune. He gave half to the work of God in the United States and half to missions overseas. Secondly, he set sail himself for missionary work among the Muslims, first in Egypt to learn Arabic, and ultimately to a very remote, remote part of China. To the public and to the media, and even to many of his Christian friends, Borden's actions seem, that's just a huge waste, uh, especially when he got to Egypt and he died of meningitis shortly after he got to Cairo. He apparently had thrown away his money. To them, it looked as if he had thrown away his career and even his life. And that's what logic and that's what the world would say. But that isn't what God would say. God would say, the first 
will be last, and the last will be first. So when we quit asking the question, what's in it for me? And we start asking the question, what's in it for him? When you make up your mind that you're going to serve God just because you love him and not just because of what he can do for you, you'll begin to discover that minimum wages and paychecks and cash and rewards and position and prestige and power, none of that means anything anymore. And you'll learn that the blessing comes just in serving a God who loved you and chose you when he didn't have to do either one. He loves you this morning. And so if you're here this morning and you've never trusted by faith in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if this is the first day and you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior today, and you were to die and, and, and go to, to, to eternity, you're going to receive the same blessing as others who have lived 50 years for Christ and done many things for Christ. You're going to receive the blessing of eternity in heaven with him forever. Isn't that awesome? That is so powerful and so life-changing for us to know that we serve God because he loved us first and because he chose us first. I'd implore you and, and plead with you to come this morning to give your heart and your life to him. But if you're here as a believer, if you already know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray this message has stirred your heart to make sure that you are being faithful with the grace that God has given to you. Lord, that you are sharing that good news, that gospel message with those around you, that they too could have the same privilege as you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage and for the encouragement that you have given us today that, Lord, no matter if we had found ourselves in prison for some crime that we had committed or, Lord, whether we had grown up in church all of our lives and never left the faith. Father, if we trust by faith in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we receive that free gift of grace. We're all equal in your eyes because of nothing we did, but because of what you did. Because of you sending your only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried in the tomb and to be resurrected from the grave on the third day. So, Father, I pray this morning that if there are any who are here, any who are watching online who don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, may they call out to you today, God. Your word has told us very simply the path to salvation, that we have to believe in our heart that Jesus lived that perfect sinless life, died on the cross for our sin, was buried, and that he was resurrected from the grave on the third day to give us eternal life. And if we believe that in our heart and we confess that with our lips, your word says we will be saved. So, Father, may we call out to you and say something like, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on that cross. I believe he was buried in that tomb. I believe he rose from the grave on the third day so that I could have eternal life. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to save me and to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, if there's someone who's prayed something like that and they meant that in their hearts, Father, I pray they would come this morning to publicly profess that faith in Christ. Lord, there are others who may be here this morning who, who maybe they need to renew that faith with you, that maybe somewhere along the way they've lost their focus off of you and they've been looking at others around them 
And they've been thinking about what they have and what they don't have. It's Father, I pray that we would get our eyes off of others and that we'd get our eyes on you. And we would be faithful with whatever days we may have remaining in this life to be faithful to serve you, to follow you, to love you, and to appreciate the grace that you've given to us. Father, I pray that we'll make the most of all that you've done for us in those last days that we have. So we give our lives to you, Lord, this morning, and we come in repentance to ask you to forgive us of all of our sin because we've not been as faithful as we should. And so, Father, I pray that you'll renew us in our walk with you, that you'll set us on the path of righteousness for your name's sake. And help us to live in the truth of your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, number 275, I Surrender All. Maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning. Maybe you're one of those who prayed to ask Christ into your heart. Maybe you need to come to join our fellowship as a new believer. Uh, would you come this morning in this time of invitation as the Lord lays on your heart? As we stand, as we sing, number 275, I Surrender All. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily.
Matt's got to say something. Thank you all who came out to the chili cook-off last night. We had a great time. Uh, we raised a little over $900 for uh, camps. And so uh, Brittany Howell was this year's chili cook-off champion. So y'all missed some really good, really good chili. And, um, uh, but hey, you know, and, and uh, start work, getting ready for next year, you know, get them secret chili recipes going. And we also, this year we had our bake-off competition. And I think Kelly Ferris won uh, our judges award with that, and and uh, I think our judges from that are still, you know, a little on their little crashes from all that sugar. So be praying for them. But uh, also, uh, this is I found I found a little bracelet in the uh, when we were up there in Children's Church. Uh, I thought maybe it was Dwayne things, but it wasn't pink enough, and so I don't think it's his. So if uh, if you got a, a kid who's missing a bracelet with a rainbow, maybe it was in uh, Sunday school with uh, Miss Ann. Um, just let me know, and I got it right here. Thank you. Uh, Janet Carter has been moved to NHC and uh, uh, be with the Linda Doubt and her family is the passing of her sister. And then Buildings and Grounds will have a meeting on Wednesday, February 8th at 5 o'clock. So uh, the rest of the stuff is in the bulletin. And uh, let's just pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this message. We thank you for Brother Jim. We thank you for this day. Uh, just go with us uh, and throughout this rest of this week. In your name we pray. Amen.